Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good morning, folks. I want to start out with thanking Holly at H2O again for hosting us out there. We broadcast live for the Marine Corps Reserve Toys for Tots program. We were able to collect box after box after box of toys you heard it some of you may have heard about a van that pulled up and just dropped it was chock full of toys it took six people five minutes to unload it it was huge was referred to as a god moment for sure Uh, the giving of this community is second to none we raised a lot of money for toys for tots as well and um, if you have some toys still that you want to drop off we still have boxes there at H20 at 441 Metairie Road, please stop by right inside the front door. You can just drop it right there in the box and go about your business. And please know that we would appreciate and really uh, understand and cherish your generosity. And I want to thank everyone that participated yesterday. It was a great turnout, big success. Uh, so looking forward to that. Friday at noon, um, we will have the CEO of Children's Hospital as well as the as Jessica Brandt as the representative of, of the Ray and Jessica Brandt Foundation, and we'll announce the amount of money that we collected uh, pursuant to our efforts uh, relative to the Radiothon. The Radiothon is still going on in, in some small aspects, so we should have everything finally tallied uh, by then. Um, by noon tomorrow and we'll make that announcement they will be joining me and i'm looking forward uh, to that as well we've got a great lineup for you today we're going to visit with the chief nopd chief ann kirkpatrick and she's been here a while now we'll talk about how she's acclimating to the city what does she think about her new home anything any surprises as she continues to assess uh, the viability of the NOPD as an organization and otherwise, biggest challenges that she uh, feels uh, or, or is thinking about in 2024, recruitment, retention, obviously, uh, violent crime numbers are, are trending in the right direction at the present time, all things that uh, we should be um, excited about, quite frankly. In the 11 o'clock hour, Dr. Joe Cantor will join us, the Louisiana State Health Officer. 10.30, Tan Trung releases a new podcast. He's our WWL multimedia journalist about um, an inmate at Angola who decides to become a minister in the largest maximum security prison, and we'll talk about that. There was a recent report issued by the 5th National Climate Assessment earlier this month that warned of wide-ranging climate impacts throughout the United States, but it went on to say that the implications for people and the environment in the Mississippi River Basin, which is which is 
big, it's large, it's incredible, are extreme, but experts stress that it's not too late to slow the worsening effects. A lot of this has to do with variability in precipitation. And one of the individuals that was cited in the article, Jill Trepanier, associate professor, graduate advisor, and faculty advisor to the Geography and Anthropology Undergraduate Society at the Louisiana State University, joins us. Jill, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me, Noel. Good morning. So um, this fifth national climate assessment, this report is is released by whom and what does it reveal relative to us down here that we should be concerned with? So the fifth national climate assessment is released by the U.S. government. It's really their eminent report on, on climate change impacts, the types of risks that we see throughout the region and throughout um, really kind of specific places. And, and here in the Gulf Coast region, there's some focus on extreme weather variability. There's also some information about things like sea level rise, which is a longer term climate change impact. Um, and so, you know, we, we like to see those reports issued so that people can use them to try to better prepare for or understand what they might expect moving into the future. So when we talk about uh, extreme weather variability, mm-hmm. are we, do we go back and look at historical data and, and see what some of the anomaly weather patterns we know that they have, have existed in, compa- in comparison to what we're experiencing in more modern times? Oh, absolutely. So one of the things scientists have to do to try to understand what's happening today is to understand what happened in the past. We use that information to think about and, and think about what we expect. And, and a lot of times our societal infrastructure, like where people are, where the roadways are, they're all based on what we expect from that historical occurrence. We take that information and then we pair it with our understanding of how things are changing and what that means for those historical extremes that we see. And I can talk about specifics, if you'd like to, related to things like yes, hurricanes. Please. Yes, of course. So so tropical cyclones are a hurricane, right, it, once it hits a certain level of wind speed. These are systems that thrive on warm water, warm energy available to them to transfer from one area to the other. And we see that transfer manifest as a really big wind, right? If we think of an environment that's a bit warmer, that provides additional fuel to these types of systems. And so when we do see them, we tend to see larger changes than what we've seen in the past, just due to the available energy that that has now become part of our current and likely future world. So when we try to predict or even think about what's going to happen, it's rooted in history and what we understand to have happened. And then it's rooted in our understanding of physics and mathematics and atmospheric science, et cetera. And we build it into computer models, um, statistical models, mathematical models to try to predict what might happen. So when we go and we look in arrears, right, in the aftermath, and we're doing and we're studying the after action of a particular pattern that's been predicted to be overactive for a given year, and it's not, how do we explain that away? How do we square that up, you know, so that the historical record is, for lack of a better term, sacrosanct as much as possible? 
Sure. So I think one of one of the things that people um, need to to think about is every year, every it's constantly changing. The system that is the that is the earth, right? There's this combination of atmosphere, hydrosphere, where the water flows and how the heat is transferred. And it's constantly changing with this series of inputs and then the output that we experience on the ground. So if we have a system set up in a certain way, we can try to expect what will occur based on that system setup. Think of it, I think of it as a puzzle, right? A series of puzzle pieces. Mm -hmm. What does the puzzle look like when you're done? And that's what we're trying to predict. We try to predict what the puzzle looks like before it's completed, which is a, a tough job. When we look to history, it shows us versions of the puzzle. But what? But every version is a little different. Every year, if you take the puzzle apart and you look at it in a slightly different scale or a slightly different scope, it looks a little bit different. And we, I'm a geographer at, at my, you know, my core. So when I think about the patterns that we see. That's one of the things we try to utilize in this creation of future puzzle pieces, right? And so when we think about a year that doesn't match up with exactly what we would expect the puzzle to look at, we have to figure out what puzzle piece wasn't in the right place that we thought it was, right? So it tends to be like this year, we saw a relatively reduced number of tropical cyclones, but a lot of this has to do with dominant high pressure that sits over various regions. One, there was high pressure that sat over the entirety of the U.S., which is what led to such severe droughts. But we also have high pressure that's situated over the Atlantic Ocean. This can help redirect storms into the main North Atlantic. We call them fish hurricanes because they don't mess with anything but the fish. Mm-hmm. Or they get directed into the coast of the United States, which is not what happened this year, thankfully. But has you know those are the those are the big puzzle pieces that are separate from things like a changing climate, but are just part of that history of the way the system functions. And so, one of the things scientists do, if like as you said, one of those years doesn't match up, or the variability doesn't look like what we expected, is we try to figure out which one of those puzzle pieces we had off that now needs to be reoriented. And every time we learn. It helps us to better understand what's coming in the future. So a lot of times we identify the what, but the why. So why did we have the high-pressure system, and, and why did it occur at that time, and why was it, it, why was it of such duration, and in many cases, why is it of such severity? Okay, great question. So when you say high-pressure there, there are two that I mentioned. One that was kind right. of sitting over the main contiguous U.S., the lower 48, right, where we saw so, particularly here, right, in Louisiana, we saw so much incredible drought. I had some students working, and just for frame of reference, the last two Augusts, we had nine inches of rainfall at the station that we have on our building here at LSU, and Mm -hmm. this August, we saw less than a half of an inch, if you can believe it. I mean, an incredible reduction, and the average is about six inches. So, Huge difference in rainfall this this last year. Now, one thing that's actively being researched by people like myself, though I am not I'm not actively doing this particular research, is to figure out exactly that question: Why did that high pressure situate itself over the U.S. in such a dominant fashion? And it has a lot to do with the jet stream, or what's called the polar front, the polar jet stream, where you have this 
for lack of a better word, I mean, I can give you better words, but for the world to understand it, this sort of meandering or wiggling upper level air system that can pull really high pressure or colder air down into parts of the U.S. that might lead to this really big change in the variability of rainfall. And so that's one of the reasons that we saw that happen, but it's being researched as I speak. And then the high pressure that exists over the Atlantic is controlled predominantly by something called the North Atlantic Oscillation, which is a a big seesaw in pressure between the northern part of the North Atlantic and a slightly closer area near near Bermuda. And so we think of this area of pressure, and it kind of fluctuates back and forth, as a large puzzle piece that is pretty that is dominated within that historical context of that earth system. So it's not related to climate change. It's just related to a a normal seesaw and pressure related to jet stream patterns that we see. So there's kind of two there. I hope that helped. Yeah. And I guess the, the thing that I find confusing though, is, you know, in the identification of what many may call an anomaly, right? Is this Mm -hmm, just mm -hmm. an unusual thing? why that, what importance it plays in the overall scheme of things. Because when we, when I read things that say, and for instance, in this article that was provided as a result of the uh, Fifth National Climate Assessment, mm-hmm. that, you know, we've had this extreme drought over this the past two years and that we had isolated extreme uh, partic- precipitation and flooding at the same time. Mm-hmm. A lot of this seems to be timing, you know, where these fronts come through. A lot of times they come through here in southeast Louisiana. They move north to Baton Rouge. They don't hit New Orleans. It's predicted to hit New Orleans. And at the last minute, everything continues on a northeasterly flow. And mm-hmm. we're free and clear. And then the following week, it may work just to the opposite. Sure. And so, you know, when we talk about the outcomes and as and we try to uh, – interpolate that into a climate change hypothesis or whatever that we want to talk about, I'm having difficulty connecting these dots all the time uh, because I don't see data. I guess it is there, but I just don't see it that links why this, why now, why the severity and why the duration. Um, And, you know, we say that it could be the polar jet stream, the North Atlantic Oscillation, that maybe meandered left, right, east, west, or whatever. Uh, but a lot this happens all the time. And then when we go back in history and we look at those anomalies, did we really understand why those things occurred? You know, just off the top of my head, the great drought of what, was it 1929? Or was that the year we had the year? Sure. Uh, Mm-hmm. The great drought in, in, in the med, Midwest, one of the longest in duration and severity, the major dust bowl. Why? What happened then, you know, that that happened? And is it fair to assume that it's going to happen again and again and again? And how frequent? Sure. So those are, that was all, those are all wonderful thoughts, and, and there's a lot packed into that. So I think first... It, it is reasonable that when you're getting reports where somebody says it's going to rain more in a place and then we also expect it to have more severe droughts in that place and it's confusing because they sometimes seem like they are the antithesis of one another. Sometimes it seems like there's not data to support 
um, say, what might be a very localized event, right? Like, as you said, sometimes in, mm-hmm. in New Orleans, it, it doesn't come through even though we think it's going to, and then it passes by unscathed, and then the next time it doesn't, right? So I think, number one, <laughs> there is a, a fundamental difference from what I've found in the expectation for what people think we should be able to tell about the weather and the climate in the environment, and then what we are actually able to tell about the weather and the climate and the environment, right? So this idea that because we have data and we have this background understanding that we should be able to predict the future, and theoretically, you might get to that point, but we are still learning. I mean, I'm 38 years old, and Doppler radar is as old as I am. And so our ability to actually utilize this data, this this incredible amount of big data, is in its infancy. So we really are learning with every sort of passing moment. Now, that being said, one of the things that I think is, is at its core, what you were describing, right, is much of our current existence as humans is living in a system where things are relatively stable. And so we've built, and that's from our understanding, and you're right, the further back in time we go, do we know exactly what happened? No, I wasn't there, so I don't know exactly what happened. But I have a variety of tools and and methods to try to understand what happened more so than not knowing at all, right? So I have some information which allows me to at least have an idea of what's going on. And so when I think about building that back in time, there's definitely uncertainty the further back that we go. But from our understanding, the last, say, 10,000 years or so have been relatively stable as the system had already reworked itself from a period of growing ice. And we've been melting ice on our planet for a really long time. And what we're seeing now from what all theory and actual real-world observations suggest is a system that's in state of flux, that suddenly something has tipped over this threshold, and we can talk about what that might be, but it's leading toward a system that's going in a state of higher-level change. I argue and discuss to my students that the climate is always in a state of change, never stops, because, again, as I said earlier, right, it's constantly a series of inputs and outputs. But if you now suddenly have a system that's changed enough to where it's re-regulating its amount of energy, right? At the core, our atmosphere functions on a regulation of energy. We get a lot at the equator, not a lot at the poles, and so it's constantly being distributed. If you think of it as a massive heat engine or a massive system, if we change any amount of that for any reason, it's going to lead to a change in that in that system. And so that's what we see as this large variability of what we expect from year to year, day to day, as we learn is a response to a system in change that we've not seen before at this rate. So we try to take every year of data as it comes. Our computers get better. Our humans get smarter. We're trying to, to solve the issues. But it seems from my perspective, it related to the NCA, the, the National Climate Assessment, folks are starting to communicate with one another in a place, in a way that I've not seen in my professional life before. You know, you mentioned, I was listening to your um, wonderful Toys for Tots discussion earlier, and that's, that's fantastic, and the community is coming together. And in a lot of, to- in a lot of ways, the world of politics and policy and science communication and education, they're starting to move toward a good direction of 
of open lines between all of it, which should push us in the direction of helping to protect things like the Gulf Coast. How much um, of the the delay, let's say, of coming together and reaching some consensus or getting closer to some consensus on a lot of this is um, the failure to do so caused by these doomsday predictions, you know, that we're not going to be around in 30 years. And, oh my goodness! Yeah, you know, that's too. I, I mean, we just hit yes. the we just hit the thirty day. We hit the thirty years, and, and I forgot who it was that said it back. You know, mm, in the seventies mm. or eighties, and you know, it was it was a political leader, and here we are. Um, sure, I mean, <laughs> oh yeah. So I think I think that's a huge part of it. So I, I when I teach um, students, because that's as a professor, I do many things, and one of them is teach quite a few humans and. When I when I tell them, if you're going to talk to anyone, this is just a life skill, but if you're going to talk to anyone, don't lead with what's all wrong and how it's all going to lead in destruction if you want them to do anything about it, right? Because right. people yeah. do not respond well to that in any, in any setting. And so specifically in my world, if, if I'm going to talk to someone, anyone, a fisher person, any stakeholder that lives across the coast, and they'd like to know what I think their world might look like. You know, I, I have them lead the way and discuss what they've seen. And so that way I can help them understand that in context. And then we can work toward a solution together. I'm a solution-oriented person. And I think we're starting to move more in that direction in the community. And so I think you're exactly right. I think p- part of the failure to launch is a product of, people leading very much with this is your fault now you fix it and nobody likes to hear that so if we can change the direction of that communication while still aiming toward the same goal then we're winning right because we're still towards solutions and we're not making everybody very frustrated and closed off in the process well, when we elect our members to Congress, it should probably be mandatory that they take one of your classes. So, <laughs> well, I'll so, take that as a compliment. So sure it is. Thing. That sounds good. Yeah. That sounds good. Yeah, so, so it's like we're not going to speak in these platitudes where everything is coming to an end in no, 10 years no, or 20 no. years. We you need know? to. There's other ways to do that. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much uh, for your time, your insight. We truly appreciate it. Jill Trepanier, Assistant Professor, graduate, graduate Advisor and Faculty Advisor to the Geography and Anthropology Undergraduate Society at the Louisiana State University. Have a great holiday season. You too. Thank you so much, and thanks for all you do. Bye-bye. Thank, thank you. We'll be right back, folks. 504-260-1870 on the Oakland Heart Jewelers Talk and Text Line. Stay with us. Call from Mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. 
You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back, folks. We are joined by Tan Trung, WWL multimedia journalist. He releases his next podcast about an inmate in the largest maximum security prison in the state of Louisiana, Angola, who becomes a minister. Ton, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me on. So, uh, Ton, uh, he goes by the name of Alex. He didn't want his uh, actual name used in this story. Um, convicted of uh, a principal to a second-degree murder on a 10-2 decision and was found not guilty by a unanimous verdict on an attempted second-degree murder. And he finds himself in the prison system from a very young age. And the story goes from there. Yeah, it's a, it's a two-part episode, and, and the second part of the podcast is, is out now. And I had to break it up because I think to understand what Alex went through in terms of the seminary program in Angola, you have to understand what he did to get himself into that position. And I say in the podcast that on the surface, it seems like this is a story about crime and punishment, which obviously that is involved. But I think it's about faith and fortitude as well, because when you're dealing with something as harsh and as rough as Angola, and it has a reputation of its own, I think that when you hear that there's a seminary program in Angola, it raises an eyebrow. But to understand and to really kind of get into the the core of what the story is about, you have to look at faith and the 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 idea of having and kind of putting religion into some aspect of the prison system has been around since biblical days. It's part of the corporal works of mercy. And I really wanted to take a look at that aspect, and this is what the podcast is really about. Interestingly, he says that um, the development and the growth and the migration of his faith really wasn't about thinking or focusing on getting out of jail. It was really more um, how he was going to live his life in jail. Yeah, and, and Alex, I couldn't identify him because that was part of the agreement that, you know, if he was to share his experience and what got him into Angola and then what ultimately got him into the seminary program there. I, I couldn't use his name and identify the specifics of his case. But when he got into Angola, 
you know, the, the majority of inmates and prisoners who enter Angola never leave. Eighty five percent of them are serving life sentences. And he had to find some way to survive what he was seeing day to day in the prison. And that was really the, the focus and, and the reason why he entered the seminary program and found his faith. It wasn't necessarily this idea of getting out because, again, the the reality is, is that many of the inmates, rightly so, are sent to Angola to serve out their term uh, and to serve out the rest of their lives. Um, so he never really went into the seminary program thinking that he was going to get out. That was not the goal. The goal was to somehow understand and navigate what life was like in prison. And he found that through the seminary program, which I found to be fascinating. He didn't come right out and say this, but it seemed to me uh, what he talked about was a delicate balancing act, right? That although mm-hmm. his his physical self was not free, uh, he was restrained, but it didn't necessarily mean that his spiritual or mental self uh, had to be restrained uh, in addition. And that, you know, the, the old adage, an, an idle mind is the devil's workshop. Uh, it occurred sure. to me that uh, one of the things that, that he reached to in that um, striving for that ability to survive while there uh, was education. And whether or that that was spiritual education or just, you know, the day-to-day education of life, uh, so many things. He recognized he couldn't read at a high level. I think he said he had a fifth-grade mm-hmm. reading level when he went in. And and to me... Um, I'll be honest. He sound this guy's incredibly articulate. Um, oh, absolutely. So, so obviously, it's paid off in the long run um, of you know uh, enhancing his ability to exercise his mind and, and use his mind for positive things. Oh, uh, he 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 will be the first to admit that he had very little understanding of what was going on legally for him when he entered the court system when he was arrested for the murder charge. And as you say, and as he says in the podcast, he had a fifth grade reading, reading comprehension. So entering the, the prison system, he didn't really grasp what what really got him in there. He, he felt that because he wasn't really the person and he was not the person who pulled the trigger, he should not plea out to any yeah. to anything according to that crime. So that, that was he was, that was he was charged as a principal to the crime. Right. Right. Precisely. And but as a teenager, he didn't really grasp that. But as a teenager with a fifth grade reading level, he sincerely didn't grasp that. But when he entered the prison system and then started attending these Episcopalian church services um, every Tuesday there, he started to understand and kind of gravitate towards what would ultimately be the seminary program. And as you noted there, Newell, I mean, he is very articulate at this point. He is able to really recite stuff from the Bible, but give really cogent and really kind of articulate statements about what faith and life is. And I think that, that to me was really the purpose of what, what like what attracted me to this particular story was you don't need to go through something that Alex went through. Everybody has their challenges and we all try to find some way to work through these adversities in life. And when you listen to Alex's story, and you understand the adversity, which I, I can't really, you know, find any other levels of adversity higher than serving out a life sentence in Angola and finding some purpose and finding some way to get through that adversity. I think that's the, the lesson that we can learn from listening to his story. And that's really the purpose why 
I really wanted to put the story together. And then a weird happenstance, right? He serves 28 years incarcerated, and something happens. Yes. I mean, he the, the Supreme Court ultimately um, decided that people who are sent and ser- sentenced to life sentences in prison uh, should not be sentenced to life in prison uh, and should be eligible for parole consideration. And so ultimately that Supreme Court decision fit the parameters of what Alex was when he entered the prison system, and he was immediately eligible for parole. Now, as he noted, that didn't mean that he was going to get paroled, but because of the fact that he went through the seminary program and had exemplary behavior in one of the roughest prisons in America, then he was ultimately able to be paroled. And again, he never he never went into the seminary program ever thinking that he would ultimately be one day free. But it goes back to what we were just saying is that if you look at the whole of his, his life, by the time he went in there, he had spent 28 years in Angola, never assuming or never thinking that he was going to get out. But he found this level of faith to kind of stay on track while he was in prison. Then ultimately, the thing that he never expected or never hoped for actually came true, which is kind of mind-blowing to me. Yeah, it is. I mean, especially when you think that, um, first, jails are not safe places, not by any stretch of prisons, I mean, by any stretch of the imagination. There's a laundry list or a big menu of temptations, right, within that facility as well. And, uh, it, and I could sense in him, he was proud of the fact that he was able to beat back those demons, so to speak, uh, because of his faith. I don't think that he really focused on it, but I think he recognized that that was one of the byproducts of what he was doing. Oh, for sure. And I think, you know, as your time as sheriff of Jefferson Parish, you know the, the criminal justice system better than most. And I think Alex, when he went into the system, he understood very quickly once his ability to appeal his sentence was was up, that he was there for a long time. Um, but now he was able to kind of channel his, his energy and, and understanding of where his life needed to be. And ultimately, you know, you don't have to believe in God and you don't necessarily have to believe in second chances to understand this story. But, you know, we're we're right now looking at a prison population. Those folks are there. And if those folks ever get out, then maybe it would be worthwhile for them to have some type of interaction with a seminary program like they have in Angola. Oh, no doubt. So that when they come out, they can be high on life as opposed to high on some drug or something else. Yes, sir. And and the real success here is that he's been free now five years. And Five and years, and not, he's running and his own not business. Recid- and is not recidivated, and that's something to be uh, celebrated for sure. We can find the uh, podcast where, Tom? They can just search for the Tom Report. That's T-H-A-N-H Report, wherever they get their podcast. That's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app as well. And the story right now, Newell, is playing on the WWL Radio website. You can find it there as well. All righty. Thank you so much. Great job as always, Tom. Really appreciate it. Tom Trunk, WWL Multimedia Journalist. Have a great week. We will be right back, folks. Stay with us. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. I had to read this article a couple of times because I really couldn't believe what I was reading. Boston Mayor Michelle Wu, who is the first woman and first person of color to be elected mayor in Boston, is obviously not dreaming of a white Christmas party. She sends out an invite for the Boston mayor's holiday party, specifically for the elected council persons of color. However, her assistant inadvertently mailed the invitation to all of the members of the city council, which is comprised of six minority members and seven white members. She immediately recognized her mistake and followed up with an email to say, I wanted to apologize for my previous email regarding a holiday party for tomorrow. The white council members were not supposed to receive an invite. I did send that to everyone by accident, and I apologize if my email may have offended or came across as so, the aide added. Sorry for any confusion this may have caused. Sorry for any confusion or or that we are anybody's offended by the email. How about we're offended by the thought that you might want to segregate Christmas parties now, that you that the mayor is only going to host a Christmas party for people of color. And although the majority of the Boston City Council is white. Interesting. Well, you you, you got to figure Twitter lit up that night. And one thing that was that was uh, interesting, and I validated it, Boston Mayor Michelle Wu is a graduate of, that's right, you guessed it, Harvard, making perfect sense. We'll be right back, folks. Stay with us. I want to give a shout-out to Gabe Corciani. Thank you for the invite last evening at Tana Italian Restaurant on Metairie Road. Executive Chef Michael Galata did a great job. It is the it, it is one of the prettiest restaurants in Jefferson Parish for sure. Um, nothing like it. Beautiful bar area, beautiful dining area. Uh, you will be impressed from the very moment that you walk into the door. Congratulations to them for bringing a quality product to a quality parish, Jefferson Parish. Had a lot of fun last night. Get on by there, and I think will as well when we come back after top of the news break dr joe Cantor, louisiana state health officer we'll talk about a number of issues 
with him. And then in the 12 o'clock hour, we'll visit with NOPD Chief Ann Kirkpatrick. So stay with us. We'll be right back. This is Newell on WWL. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. 